Good morning. We're so glad you're here, and thank you for indulging me. I know that song uh, had to be a little bit new to some of you. But I, uh, the reason I picked that song, because it has to do everything with the passage of Scripture we're going to look at. And uh, we're beginning uh, to make a turn. This is kind of a hinge passage that begins to move us into the bulk of uh, the book of Hebrews uh, that focuses on the uh, high priestly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I want us to uh, look into Hebrews chapter 4, if you have your Bible or if you have your smartphone, and we want to uh, finish out this chapter this morning, uh, Hebrews 4, 11 to 16, and we're going to talk about uh, persevering faith in the, the furnace of life. And there are three keys here, and I want you to see something as we read along as you read the Bible, one of the things that's important to do is to pay attention to the things that are repeated. And you're going to see a phrase repeated. In fact, it's a, uh, it's a command. And the, the author of the Hebrews is putting himself in there with his audience. And he's saying, let us, let us, let us. And he does it three times. And I want you to circle in your Bible where those are as we go along. And it'll, it'll sort of form our outline of our time together, Hebrews 4, 11 to 16. And you're going to see three keys, if you will, for persevering faith in the furnace of life. Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Why? For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Since then... We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, or you can put the word in, tested, as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Why? That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is God's profitable, living, eternal, and errant word for us this morning. One of the things I do when I read the Bible, and, and if you've ever heard me uh, like in a wedding when we're praying for the as we read the wedding scripture, I always close, you know, Lord, give us in the midst of all the changing images and words of our generation, would you be pleased this morning to give us ears to hear, eyes to see the beautiful things in your word, and a heart that is ready and willing to obey. And that's called a prayer of illumination in the fancy terms, but uh, this morning, this is what we want. Lord, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear your spirit, but most of all, Lord, give us a heart that is ready and willing to obey your word. Well, evil entered the sanctuary this past Sunday in Sutherland Springs, Texas, in a small community of 700 people in a small Baptist church, a deranged man comes in just killing people senselessly. This is the 14th incident this year of a murder like this uh, related in, in, a, in, in some type of house of worship in the United States of America. And it would be very easy for us to, to grow weary, 
to begin to question God. God, why? Where were you in the middle of that, that tragedy of that evil? And I'm not here this morning to talk about why does a good God allow suffering. There's a lot of things on our website. We've preached and taught on that from the book of Genesis and the life of Joseph. But this morning, what behooves us is to pay very close attention to what's going on here with these original Hebrew Christians, these Messianic Jews. Because evil was uh, advancing against them. And for some of them, if you read Hebrews 10, verse about 32 to 38, some of them, their property had been confiscated. Some of these believers had been thrown in prison for their faith. Some had been martyred for their allegiance to King Jesus. And it was these winds, these contrary winds were blowing strong. These gale force winds against the church of Jesus Christ in the first century. And they were being tempted to walk away, to compromise their faith, to, to shrink back. Rather than drawing near that we just read about, they were being tempted to shrink back. And go back to what uh, one writer calls the cradle of Judaism. So they would not have to suffer because of their allegiance to the cross of Jesus. And so this morning is real important that we begin to ask ourselves, Lord, do I have persevering faith? Give me this persevering faith, faith that endures to the end. And there's a word that is used... Uh, repeatedly in the book of Hebrews and you have probably, if you've ever heard a talk, probably the most off-quoted, off-preached upon passage in the book of Hebrews is Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Therefore, since we have a great cloud of witnesses, we're just coming off of All Saints Sunday, the people of God, people who've impacted you, maybe some people who led you to the Lord, maybe your your grandmama, your mother, your father, who's now a member of the church triumphant, we're surrounded, that we're running into the stadium like on a, an Olympic marathon and they're the great cloud of witnesses in the stadium cheering us on, a, a calling us to lay aside the, the things that entangle us and the sin that clings so closely to us. And we run, how? Fixing our eyes on Jesus with perseverance, with endurance. And uh, one thing I would just encourage you with, if you ever want to know what a word means in the Bible, to go to a a website called blueletterbible.org. And you can type in, like in this case, Hebrews 12, 2, and and you can click on the words. You do not have to know Greek to do this. It's all in English. And the word is hupomone. It means endurance. It means perseverance. And let me just give you what uh, Strong's Concordance says is the definition of perseverance, of endurance. It's the characteristic of the man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and loyalty to faith by even the greatest trials and sufferings. When I was thinking about this, as we enter into this, I was thinking of a good friend of mine named Arnold Mills. We ended up buying his farm in the community I used to live in. We bought his farm, and he said, Dick, for over 100 years, my family has sown the seed of the word of, the, the, the seed, the, uh, the physical seed of corn and soybeans on this property. I want the seed of the word of God to be sown on my property for generations to come. He sold us his farm at a, uh, he did fine for himself but at a, at a decent price, and we built a new sanctuary on that property, and today the word's going forth. But if you met Arnold Mills today, and Arnold's probably 83, 84 years old. His sister was murdered as a college student in their community. Uh, he had a wife and two daughters, and one day he came home to his house, and she was gone. She had abandoned her covenantal vows And she had gotten moving trucks during the day and taken everything out of the house. He came home to an empty house. Gone. His wife, his kids, everything gone. Here's a man who has a few occasions in his life to be embittered, 
angry, resentful, and ready to throw in the towel and cash it all in. Walking with Jesus doesn't pay. But my friends, if you met my friend Arnold Mills, this man is a joyful, contagious Christian. And I know some of you in your stories, and you've, you've had to endure all kinds of suffering and hardship. And this morning, we, this passage sets forth for us sort of three keys that will help us persevere in our pilgrimage journey toward that promised rest. And so uh, this morning, I want us just to jump in here and, uh, and to uh, look at the first point. Persevering faith in the furnace of life results from making every effort, making every effort to enter God's rest. So let's look in verse 11. Let us... Therefore, strive to enter that rest. So this is a collective enterprise. Let, let us, the, the, the goal of persevering, the goal of persevering faith is to enter the rest of God. And we talked a lot about what that was last week. Uh, we talked about uh, the Cana rest of, uh, that was a type for entering uh, the rest of God, uh, the eternal rest of God, that after God created all things. He entered into his rest. And every Sabbath day, when we come to worship the Lord with the Lord's day, we're, we're, we're training and preparing our hearts for that day when we will enter in to the final rest of God, the shalom of God. And uh, we will have an eternal Sabbath celebration when we will celebrate and worship forever and ever. But remember, this this rest of God that we're entering is two things. The present rest of faith in Jesus Christ. And you remember last week when I told you Matthew 11, Jesus' invitation. If you're, if you're heavy burdened, if you're weary, if you're exhausted, he says, come to me. Come to me and find rest for your soul. So this rest starts now. And there's a, uh, it's an issue It's a already and a not yet. Is coming and it's going to be consummated. It's coming in fullness. And we're looking forward to that day. But it says concentrate your energies. It's like a, a man, a runner stretching forth for the tape. Strive to enter. And this is a word that is repeated a lot in the New Testament. Uh, you're here this morning and you're, you're just you're by your presence here. 2 Timothy 2.15. Here's the same word. Be diligent. Make every effort to present yourself as an approved workman who knows how to handle the word of God, the word of truth. Be able to rightly divide the word of God. Be diligent in that. 2 Peter 1.10 says, be diligent. Make every effort to make your calling and your election sure by adding to your faith brotherly kindness and love and self-control. That's 2 Peter chapter 1. And so there's, the goal of our persevering faith is that we will enter that rest. And friends, one of the things, uh, one question I have for the Lord, uh, I love the Psalms and Psalm 121, about, it talks about the Lord's watch care over his people. You begin to kind of wonder about that when you see uh, a church like the church, First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas, uh, with, with just when evil enters the sanctuary and begins to take people's lives little baby, a, a, a pregnant mother and her, her child in utero. You begin to wonder, and he says, when Psalm 121 says, the Lord will guard you from all evil. And one of the ways that I've tried to make sense of that is that the Lord will guard his people from evil, from keeping that evil from getting into our hearts. All kinds of tragic, hard things happen to God's people. And it causes us to begin to question our faith. But I want to just encourage you to, to make every effort that one day rest is coming. The, the rest giver, the Lord Jesus Christ, sweat drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane to get you home to enjoy this rest. And it is our hope. And when you just feel like you can't go anymore and you're weary and exhausted and frustrated, remember 
that suffering and struggle and hardship and trouble never ever have the last word in the life of a follower of Jesus. It's pleasures and joys forevermore and it is the blessed rest of resting from your labors, enjoying and delighting in Jesus and serving him with fear, without fear and with joy forever. Well, secondly, you've got the goal of persevering is to enter, to make sure you enter that rest. It's coming for you. Secondly, the cost of not persevering so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now, what he's doing here is he's using the negative example again uh, of, the, of the wilderness generation, the Exodus generation. And if you go back and you look in Numbers chapter 14, they fell by the sword. That's the image. And so he's going to pick up the sword theme in just a minute in, ver in verses 12, in verse 12 and 13. But they fell by the sword due to their unbelief, due to their unbelief and their di disobedience and grumbling spirit. Uh, they fell... And by, by the same don't want so no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The idea of falling there is to be completely ruined, utterly ruined. Let me tell you a funny story. <clears throat> when I was five years old, <clears throat> we were driving in uh, the little town that I grew up in, much like this town in Texas. And my mom was, cut, was driving uh, us home from the grocery store, and it was a 1965 Chevrolet Impala. We're not using seat belts. Uh, there's no car seats for children. Uh, the bucket seats, don't, they just fall forward. There's no latch to keep them in place. And uh, what am I doing? I'm standing up in the back seat. My mom's not paying attention. She hits the brakes to avoid the car that stopped in front of her. And what do I do? I'm all of a sudden going forward at a rapid speed. I land face first on the steel dashboard. All the teeth gone. <laughs> uh, and and uh, a pretty big gash here on the edge of the mouth. And as I'm on the side of the road, <laughs> spitting teeth and blood out, my mom's going crazy, you know, I've ruined my kid. I, I look up at my mom, words from a five-year-old, Mama, look what you've done to me. You've ruined me. And, you know, I don't know if you, as a parent, uh, I can assure you, I've ruined my own kids. And many, every one of my children have fallen headfirst down a stairwell. A very negligent parent. Um, but my friends, this ruining from falling away, from falling away from faith in Jesus is a complete and utter ruin. But I want to be very, very careful here. Here at Second Presbyterian Church, we believe in a teaching called the perseverance of the saints. Those who have been called and justified are sanctified and will be glorified. It's called the golden chain of salvation, Romans 8, 29 and 30. In my Bibles, I always write three words besides Romans 8, 29 and 30 to remind myself when I read that portion of Scripture again. Three words. God loses none. God loses none of his children. We, uh, those who are called and those who are justified, who are born again into a living hope, can never fully or finally fall away. But here in the church of Jesus Christ today, the visible church, we've got people that are mere professors of faith. They may not have genuine faith. They may have counterfeit faith. And so this morning you can ask yourself, hey, do I have genuine faith? If you acknowledge yourself that you are a great sinner and Jesus Christ is a great Savior of sinners like you and you've placed your faith, put your full weight down on Him and what He's done for you on the cross, you're His. And you can never, ever lose your salvation. And friends, this is very, very important because 
us pastors, and uh, Gary Peak here can well attest, we walk with the saints of God through the valley of the shadow of death as we're helping people enter in, into heaven. And when you have the assurance of your salvation, it makes all the difference in the world when it's time for you to come to die and enter into this blessed rest. Do you have that assurance today? Let me, let me give you something here in your outline that does explain why what happens sometimes to believers. This is from our Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 17, that talks about this teaching of the perseverance of the saints. This is point three. Nevertheless, believers may, through the temptations of Satan and of the world and the prevalence of corruption remaining in them, we all have to still battle with the flesh, and the neglect of the means of their preservation. That's why you're here this morning. You're availing yourself of the means of God's strengthening grace, His Word, the physical presence of other Christians, which is an incredible gift of God to strengthen us and encourage us. But when we neglect those means, we can fall into grievous sins. And for a time, we can continue in those grievous sins. Some of you have friends right now that are playing the prodigal, living in the far country, continuing in grievous sins, whereby they incur God's displeasure, grieve His Holy Spirit, come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts, and have their hearts hardened, and their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalize others, and bring temporal judgments upon themselves. So Christians for a season can wander away, and all of these things happen. And it says, look back, look to the negative example of the wilderness generation. Do not be like them in, the, in apostatizing, apostasy and unbelief. And disobedience, but continue to fix your eyes on Jesus. Well, what are the gifts? So we see uh, the goal of uh, persevering, the cost of not persevering. What about the gifts of persevering? And we've got two of them. One is the Word of God, and the other I, I'm calling, uh, you could say it, the character of God or the attributes of God, but I'm, I would say the omniscience. Hebrews 4.13 speaks of one particular attribute of God, His omniscience. And this is, these are stimuli to help us persevere in our own pilgrimage as followers of Jesus. First of all, the Word of God. Verse 12, For the Word of God is living and active, is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of of the heart. All right, when he says the Word of God, he's meaning the entirety of God's divine revelation inscripturated in, in God's Word. And so one of the things here, I don't know if you grew up going to church like I did, but I can remember in my little uh, church I grew up in, uh, going to Sunday school and reading all these great stories about what God did in past generation. I can just remember hey, this is all great that uh, God split the Red Sea open and He caused water to come out of a rock and He did all these miracles. He caused the sun to stand still and uh, for the battle to continue. What does this have to do with me? I felt as if I was reading somebody else's mail until the Lord caused the scales to come off of my eyes. I was born again and God's book the Bible became a living, active, life-giving book. And this is why whatever church you're in, I hope it's a church that preaches the gospel and preaches from this book. Because we know things like Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. 2 Timothy 3. The scriptures are given to us to make us wise for salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. Scriptures don't give us salvation. They point us to the written, to the living word, Jesus Christ, who gives us salvation. The, the reason we teach the Bible is so that we, the men of God, might be thoroughly equipped. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
the Word of God equips the men of God to make an impact in perilous times. And we live in perilous times. This is why Sandy Wilson has been here teaching you men for all these years to equip you so that you're thoroughly furnished as a husband, as a father, as a businessman, as a friend to do good works that God has prepared in advance and He's prepared them in advance for you to do today. So the Word of God is living. It's 1 Peter 1.23. We, we use this every Sunday here at Second Press that talks about the, the abiding seed of the Word of God that has caused us to be born again. And we say all flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. What? How does it go? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God abides, remains forever. God's Word is eternal. God's Word is living. It's life-giving. It gives spiritual life. And it brings light and encouragement today. And I cannot uh, stop uh, stop at, at this point without mentioning one of my favorite seminary professors. And I can just remember him. He loved to quote Psalm 119, uh, 9 and 11. How can a young man, how can an old man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word, O Lord. Your word have I hidden in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. My friend Howard Hendricks would always say, this book, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. I've had to walk with a lot of my friends, people I've served Jesus with through their breaking of their covenantal vows. And you don't all of a sudden wake up one day and decide to walk away from the wife of your youth if you're married. There are countless little compromises that you make. And I can assure you, there was a vanishing attention to Scripture long before you ever got to that sin of adultery. My friends, this book is a precious book. Give me, like John Wesley said, give me the book of God. Today, I would ask you to make it your resolve. Lord, amidst all the things that I'm known for in this city, my gifts, my work, my family, let me be a man of one book. Give me the book of God. We can take it for granted. How many books, how many Bibles do you have on your shelf? I've got in my office a couple of shelves full of different Bibles. And one of the things I've been trying to do in this 500th anniversary of the Great Reformation, I've been trying to remember, and I've been using a little devotional from John Piper on the 50 50 days uh, through the Reformation. It's a biographical sketch of men and women. William Tyndale. Go read about William Tyndale. You're talking a man who endured an intense furnace... He was burned at the stake in order to get an English Bible into a plowboy's hands. You have an English Bible today because of the legacy of William Tyndale. And you give thanks and praise. He's part of that great cloud of witnesses. And that's not to make us feel guilty that we kind of yawn and we just say, well, what Bible do I want to read today? Be grateful that you have that. But remember the cost and the, and the tried and tested men who gave you that Bible. I've got a little phrase here. It says, Scripture untangles the human heart and unearths sin like no other book can. God uses His Word like a scalpel to perform spiritual surgery on your heart. So today when you come, I want just to encourage you What does this passage reveal about the nature of God who provides salvation for you? He's a God who's entered into his rest. He's a God who has suffered so that you could enter into his rest. And what are the sinful thoughts and attitudes and 
actions and behaviors that result in me when I forget that about the Lord. I grow weary. I begin to struggle and battle with unbelief and really I don't rest in the promises of God. And you, when you come to God's word, I want you to always think, according to Hebrews 4.12, Swiss cheese. What is the notable characteristic of Swiss cheese? It's got the holes. When you read the word of God, it's, it's, sh it's shining the spotlight on Jesus everywhere. It's a schoolmaster that leads us to the Lord to see his beauty, his character. But it also shows us our lacks. It shows us the holes in our lives. It shows us our shortcomings. And we let that word do surgery on our hearts. But as it's doing surgery on our hearts and rooting out the cancer of sin and cutting it away, it's also shining the spotlight on the character of God. And you see this in verse 13, the omniscience of God. God's word graciously reveals the nature of God to us. In verse 13, it focuses on his omniscience. Listen to the word. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Today, you're going to encounter some form of temptation. The devil's going to come to you. There's going to be a certain circumstance that presents itself at work. And uh, it's going to be an enticement, an allurement to evil, to walk away from the will of God. And how do you resist him? One of the ways that we, we, we think about the character of God and I, I, as I was reading uh, verse 13 now, the psalm that comes to me is Psalm 16. This is a psalm that encouraged Jesus Christ as he was preparing to go to the cross. He's, the Lord said, I will not allow my Holy One to see decay. I will not abandon you in Sheol, in the place of the grave. Psalm 16, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because the Lord is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. So this morning, I want you to, to do like Brother Lawrence. Do you know who Brother Lawrence is? Brother Lawrence was a, a monk. Uh, he wrote a little book called Practicing the Presence of God. God is always with you. He's omnipresent. God knows all things. The first thought that came into your mind this morning, before you ever thought it, according to Psalm 139, verses 1 to 3, God knew it. He knows all things. He's omniscient. And what does this mean for us practically? Well, I pulled out an old book off my bookshelf from a man named Dan DeHaan. It's the book called The God You Can Know. And I want to just talk just about this one little attribute of God and the implications for those of us who are believers and those who are not believers. So right here you've got in the bottom part of your sheet, what does God's omniscience mean to us? Well, omniscience means God knows all. It means that God never discovers anything. He never discovers anything new about you. Or about me. He's never surprised. He's never amazed when you go off and, and, and in a moment of idiocy. You know, he, he's never taken back by it. He never seeks out information. We have to see, we're going all day long in what you do for a living, you're seeking out information to make wise decisions. God never seeks out new information. And here's the beautiful thought if the highest court of the universe has declared us loved and forgiven, even though we are fully known. He fully knows. He knows all of my truckload of past sins, my lustful thoughts, the sins of my youth. If he knows all that and he still loves and forgives me, certainly we can openly deal with failure and sin before others. We do not have to wear masks. We do not have to pretend that everything's okay when it's not. We can invite people into our lives. If the highest court of heaven 
knows all about me and he loves me even still and accepts me in the beloved, I can be real and I can be transparent and I can be honest with you when I'm struggling. This is hard for us. In the South, stoicism. Well, I'm just a private person. Friends, in Christianity, we're our brother's keeper. We pursue our brothers. When we, when we begin to wonder if, if something's going on, if someone's wandering away and wavering and shrinking back, we pursue them. And we need people to pursue us as well. And so today, when you come here regularly, let me just encourage you. You've already taught on this, Hebrews 3.13. Encourage somebody. Somebody here needs to be encouraged. And I can tell you, uh, my brother Don Jordan back there, that man is an, a Barnabas. He's encouraged me as his pastor on many occasions. And there are others of you that have that gift of encouragement. And please, please, please do not stop. For the unbeliever, continuing on in the quote here, for the unbeliever, omniscience means that there is no place to hide. Every sin that we commit is as though we did it right in front of His throne. He sees all and knows all, and all of our sins are exposed to Him who sees everything, everywhere. Now, you know the children's song? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. <laughs> Be careful, little hands, what you do. <laughs> Be careful, little feet, where you walk. Just a simple little children's rhyme. But let me just tell you something. The Father up above is not a celestial Scrooge looking down over the portal of heaven waiting to put his thumb down on you because you're having a little bit of fun. Because you know fun spells the first three letters of funeral. <laughs> Friends, this, we, can, we laugh because all of us have a little bit of this in our heart. The lie of the viper is embedded in our hearts that doubts the goodness, the graciousness, the kindness of our heavenly Father. That He's waiting to put His thumb down on us. No, He's, he's looking down and practicing His presence. Lord, when you're facing temptation, when we're going through a time of, of testing, you set the Lord before you. Lord, you're with me. I'm not a spiritual orphan. I'm not walking through this financial uh, struggle alone. You're walking with me. And that's very, very important. Um, let's go to the back page. Uh, the second point, we've got to, like my father would say, uh, the farmer that he is, we've got to make hay while the sun shines. We've got two more points. Persevering faith in the, in the furnace of life results as we hold firmly, holding firmly to our confession. And this is where he begins to turn. This is the hinge passage when we begin to, dis to discover the high priestly ministry of Jesus on our behalf. Verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast our confession. So here we see uh, there's a lot to share. Let me just highlight three things. First of all, we, we see the office of Jesus. And in every single one, one of these things, his office here is he's a great high priest. So the office, now you know Jesus was anointed. That's the word Christos. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one as a prophet, priest, and king. And from here to about chapter 10 of Hebrews, he's going to talk about the high priestly ministry of Jesus, that he's a better priest than Aaron. And let me give you again the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 25. How does Jesus Christ execute the office of a priest? What does it mean practically that Jesus is a priest for me in heaven? 
Christ executes the office of a priest and is once offering up of himself. He's not presenting sacrifices. He was the one and final sacrifice. We know this from Hebrews chapter 9. And as a sacrifice to do what? To satisfy divine justice. Propitiation. He set aside, he satisfied God's divine wrath and hatred towards sin on the cross. And he reconciled us to God. We who were enemies uh, of the Lord, now we're God's friends through faith in our priestly king. And he makes continual intercession for us. So right now, Jesus Christ is sitting on the throne of God in heaven, and he is making intercession. He's interceding and praying for us. Even when we sin, he's our heavenly defense attorney. He's our advocate, and he speaks to the Father. Father, forgive John. He's covered. He's a blood-bought son. Forgive that sin of pride, of, of, uh, of, that, of unforgiveness, of lust. He's mine. The blood covers, and he prays for us. Secondly, the ascension of Jesus. What does the text say? He's the great high priest who's passed through the heavens. So he has taken flesh, our flesh, the same flesh, this body of flesh and bones into heaven, guaranteeing that there's just as much hope for your body today that is outwardly wasting away. We believe in the resurrection of the body, and we're going to serve God in heaven with our bodies. Well, one of the things I think that is important here is to, again, ask the question, how does Christ's ascension, he is ruling and reigning in heaven, how does his ascension into heaven benefit you today? Well, first of all, he's an advocate in heaven, in the Father's presence. So he's speaking to the Father for you. Secondly, in his own flesh in heaven, as a sure pledge that Christ our head will take us, who are his members, up to himself. And thirdly, he sends his spirit from heaven to us as a corresponding pledge, a down payment, just like a down payment on a house. His spirit that dwells within us is a pledge that he's going to get us home to enjoy our eternal inheritance of ruling and reigning with him forever. And by the Spirit's power, we seek not earthly things, but the things above where Christ is seated at God's right hand. So one of the things that's important, just to, to close this point, so that we don't uh, just get busy and frantic, you know, I've got to hold fast my confession. I've got to... I've got to uh, hold firmly to, uh, to our confession. You hold firmly to, to, to God's hand only because He holds you in the palm of His hand. In fact, today, if you're His, your name is engraved on the palm of His hands. Isaiah 48, we know that. And I love the old spiritual... Time is filled with swift transition. Not alone on earth can stand. You got to build your hopes on things eternal. You got to hold to God's unchanging hand. How can you hold to God's unchanging hand? He holds you. He holds you. We know this from John 10. Nothing, not your past sin, not your present sin, not any adverse circumstance or trouble or affliction or tragedy that would enter your life, not even an attack by the devil himself, Romans 8, 38 and 39, can separate you from his hand. He's got you in his hand. So we hold to his hand. We hold to our confession. And we know from Hebrews 3.1 that Jesus Christ is the apostle and high priest of our faith. That is our confession. It is the historical Jesus. He is fully God and fully man. I, I skipped my point three. A3 is the identity of Jesus. Is, he's Jesus, the Son of God. He's fully man, Jesus Christ. He lived in history. He's, son, he's the Son of God. 
and we hold fast our confession. It's the historical Jesus. He lived a life just like you and me. He suffered just like us, but he never sinned. But also this confession is our Christian faith. And it's summarized for us in a, and this is a verse some of you may know, Romans 10, verse 9. If we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, what will happen? We will be saved. Do you believe in your heart? Do you confess with your mouth? Jesus Christ is Lord. All over the world today, curios es Jesus es curios. Jesucristo es el Señor. Jesus Christ is Lord. You make that your confession, you're saved, you're His. And friends, every Sunday, if you ever quote the Apostles' Creed, can I just encourage you? Sometimes we can view ourselves as we should. I'm small. My life is insignificant. I'm one of those crooked sticks that God plucked from the fire that He wants to use to strike the straight blows to extend His kingdom. That's you. Your little story of your life is caught up in the great drama of redemption. And that is when we confess our faith using the Apostles' Creed. We remember that history's going somewhere. My life is caught up in this grand drama of redemption. It gives you purpose. It'll get you up in the morning, get you up on your tiptoes. Lord, here I am, your suit of clothes. Put me on and use me for your glory. Lastly, persevering faith in the furnaces of life results as we draw near. Draw near to God's throne. You see, again, the motivation and then sort of the mandate. The motivation is verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the motivation. The motivation for drawing near. Rather than shrinking back, draw near. And again, kind of the same idea. Draw near to the one who's drawn near to you. He's been the hound of heaven. C.S. Lewis, he's been the transcendental interferer. Coming to pursue you. Drawing near to you to have your heart fully. It says rather than shrinking back, draw near. Why? We have a high priest who is sympathetic. We have a sympathetic high priest who is un, he's not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. All the dangers, all the sorrows, all the trials, all the unjust, senseless murder of our friends, he knows it. John the Baptist was beheaded at the bequest of a little girl. He knows Injustice, the injustice perpetrated against him at the cross. He knows and he sympathizes. He's not off in his heaven somewhere, sort of twiddling his thumbs while his people suffer. No, he's a God who weeps and he enters into that suffering. And this is one reason why I'm a Christian. It makes sense of this broken and fallen world that we live in, our world and life view. Our God has entered into the suffering. Our God entered into the suffering to die so that death would die and so that one day all suffering would end and it would be joy and pleasures forevermore in the Father's rest. We have a a high priest that's not just sympathetic. He's tempted. He's been tempted and tested in every respect as we are, yet without sin. One of the things about Jesus Christ, all of his temptations came from without Unlike you and me, we have the flesh and some of our temptations come from within. My heart is an idolatrous heart and I can root my identity in a lot of other things other than Jesus and his love. So he's a tempted high priest. So in your times of temptation, you don't have to hide from Jesus. You can run to Jesus. The woman, the sinful woman in Simon's house 
that wiped his feet with her tears and touched his feet in that kind of intimate way. Jesus Christ never had a lustful thought toward a woman. He never sinned. This is the third attribute. It's, he's not just sympathetic. He's not just tempted. He's impeccable. It's called the impeccability of Jesus Christ. The sinlessness of Jesus Christ. If he was not sinless, he could not have been a redeemer. And the three temptations of Jesus in the wilderness that correspond to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. He never gave in. He fought temptation with the word. He was the word. So this was an essential prerequisite for Jesus to serve as our redeemer. Se uh, secondly, the mandate to draw near. So you've got the, the motivation to draw near, the mandate to draw near. It says, let us then with confidence draw near. Friends, wherever you are, however you are this morning, your spiritual state, you can draw near to the Lord in prayer. Jesus Christ has opened the access to the throne room of heaven and you can talk to him honestly. You can talk to him boldly. It says, let us approach with confidence, with boldness. You're a blood-bought son of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can enter into that throne room, and you can beseech him in prayer. And today, what is it? What's one thing that you want the Lord to do for you? This is an admonition for a persistent, confident prayer. Besiege the throne room of heaven and come with bold requests. And I like what John Newton says. He says, Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with you bring, for his grace and power are such. You can never, ever ask too much. What is it that you want him to do for you? Come to him with it. Approach his throne of grace, the place to which we draw near. Yes, it is a throne room of glory, but here he says it's a throne room of grace. God's unmerited favor, the unmerited favor of an unobligated giver. You've received that favor. He bids you to come. We cannot stand in the blazing light of the God's glory to our everlasting comfort unless we've been hidden in the rock, the rock of ages, the rock of of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is grace indeed. And what are the results of drawing near? We've got the place to which we draw near, the throne of grace. The results of drawing near is the assurance that we will receive mercy and we will find grace. Receive mercy. Is, God's mercy is always directed uh, to sinners in their misery and in their trouble. God's grace is directed to sinners whose consciences are guilty to relieve our guilt. So this morning, I just want to encourage you. There's a place where you can always go in your time of trouble, affliction, and temptation to find help. To find help in your time of need. Draw near. Enter that rest. Hold fast to your confession. And draw near and experience His abounding grace again and again. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for these men. I pray, Lord, that you would draw near to them today. You would show yourself a strong and mighty high priest. Your blood, you've, you've, you're the one and final sacrifice. Your blood covers them today. They're accepted, they're forgiven, they're profoundly loved by you. And the Lord, I pray that they would anchor their hearts when the gale force winds blow to who you are, Lord Jesus, the great high priest. And would you continue to pray for us all day today and give us again the great joy of our salvation. And we'll be sure to give you the thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. The Lord's blessings to you.
zero and maybe take up a, what is it, blues. Sing the blues. You're good. Oh, man. Oh, hey, thank you. Hey, Drew, how are you, man? Good to see you too, sir. Price, good to see you, man. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yeah, your voice. Oh, my goodness. Oh, hey. Hey, you know what? I, 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 Tim and I, Tim Johnson and I, we, uh, We'll sing that song on occasion. Yeah, it's yeah. so fun. To, uh, it's fun. You know, it's, it really is. Uh, yeah, we need to use that one here on Sunday night. It's, uh, we've not done that here. So it's, it's an old spiritual, you know. It's, uh, yeah. Oh, well, I'd love to hear Tim sing it myself. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in eastern North Carolina. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, 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 no. No, I grew up in a little town like the Sutherland Springs. Yeah. Front and back street, one stop lights. Hey, John, right. how are you, man? Absolutely Thank you, man. I love the way you outlined it and uh, the mandates. Yeah. The, you really um, made easy for us to follow. Good. Well, so I tried to. Yeah, that. absolutely. And my right. privilege, man. Thanks for your encouragement. Okay. I heard yes, you. sir. Thank you, brother. Thank you, hey, brother. Bill, how are you? Good to see you, sir. You doing well? Yes, sir. Eternal security is what they call it. Yeah. You, you prayed a sinner's prayer. They never have, yes. Well, the Baptists and the Roman Catholics have not read the book of Hebrews. I always tell my friends, if you're interacting with a Roman Catholic friend, the book of Hebrews will help you because it just deals with a lot of their teaching. It's interesting, Bill. It's kind of, it's kind of two extremes. Over here, you've got a carnal security of, uh, well, I prayed to sinner's prayer. I can live like hell, basically. Uh, and and that's, that would be a counterfeit faith um, because uh, I think that's the burden that the book of Hebrews is trying to address, of the whole notion of faith that perseveres to the end, uh, that faith, faith, is, faith saves, uh, faith alone saves, but faith is never alone. It always issues forth in a transformed life. Hey, brother, how are you? Good. Good to see you, man. Blessings to you. Yeah. Yes, sir. Paul tells somebody, keep the pressure on them they lose. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's just so much of the book you can't read, you know? I mean, it's really true. I think the, the Catholics, they add works, but they still, they really miss, uh, you know, uh, for example, uh, purgatory. You know, it's appointed to man to die once. Rome, uh, Hebrews 9:27, right. and after this comes the judgment. It, um, <laughs> it does sell a whole lot of candles. It sold a lot of indulgences too back in the day. <laughs> hey, Craig. Yeah. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely, Craig. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic, Craig. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. Go ahead, you're fine, you go ahead, it's okay. Right, right, right. So, in order to glorify, and if people are going to glorify you, if that's the goal, you got to have people that are doing it in spite of their proclivities. Yes. So, they need those yeah. proclivities, including the Sabbath season, come along. Yeah. To still glorify God. But that's why he allows all this stuff. And maybe he doesn't yeah. allow it, maybe it just happens. Whatever mm. it is, it's a, it makes people who do say, in spite of all that, mm -hmm. that they're, yeah. they're, they're going to glorify God. That's yeah. Yeah, and, I, and, I, yeah, and I, I agree. I think the uh, it's easy to want to go to free will. I mean, they're going to hammer free will uh, to to uh, keep the will of man free, so that he's responsible for for the sin and the tragedy, and somehow God would be responsible if he's just completely sovereign. And we one of the things we do is uh, the great. It's called the greater good defense of, of of why evils in the world. God, like the thing in Texas, God. This is a phrase from Scripture. God makes the wrath of man to praise him. I don't know how that works. 
I don't know how that works, but God brings a greater good somehow, some way that we may never know this side of heaven uh, of, of a tragedy, of, but he will orchestrate it for his greater good and his, your phrase, great glory. So... Yeah, that's right. That's right. And that's, or, or else these commandments, you know, the let us, let us strive, let us hold fast, let us draw near. It would be insignificant. Yeah, it would be, yeah. That, that commandment means something, you know. And he gives us the spirit to heed that. Hello there, Olin. Hello, Dick. Well done. Well, thank you, thank you. It's so good to see you, and you're so kind and encouragement. You're you're an encouraging brother, just like Don is to me. And that's your presence here. Just so grateful for you, and uh, I hope I was a blessing to you this morning. You were mm, great, good. That's fantastic. Good to see you. Good to see you. Good job. Hey, King. Good. How are you? Good. Yes, sir. Thank you. For one reason you do so good. So thank. You. Because you talk like you believe it. Good. Thank I mean, you. That's right. Yes. Uh, yes, you know? sir. Really yes, sir. You know, when, when you, anybody in anything, when they talk like they know what, they, what, they know what they're talking about and believe it, they're affected. That's right. You know? Well, I always like. Uh, uh, my grandmama used to say when all of her friends were kind of caving in and wondering about the Bible being the Word of God, she said, I believe there was a man named Job. That was her throw down the gauntlet that the Bible, where's the, what, where's the Word of God? And then she would say, I know that my Redeemer lives, and uh, I know whom I have re- be- believed, and I am convinced that He is able.